Our first scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Psalms, the 106th Psalm, verses 1 to 10, which is on page 685, if you're following along in your pew Bible. Let's listen together for a word from God. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good, for God's steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty doings of the Lord or declare all God's praise? Happy are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you deliver them, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice with the gladness of your nation, that I may glory in your heritage. Both we and our ancestors have sinned. We have committed iniquity, have done wickedly. Our ancestors, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wonderful works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled against the Most High at the Red Sea. Yet God saved them for God's namesake, so that God might make God's power, might make so that God might make known God's mighty power. God rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. God led them through the deep as through a desert. So God saved them from the hand of the foe and delivered them from the hand of the enemy. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from the Hebrew book of Lamentations. Um, Here we go. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Amen. On communion Sundays, uh, it's maybe a little bit more obvious uh, that this part of the service is reminding us why we do that part of the service. So with that in mind, as we prepare to come to the table um, this morning together, along with those who trust God in Christ all around the world, um, please join me in prayer. Loving God, we pray that the meditations of our hearts this morning upon this, your word to us today, will not only be acceptable in your sight, but might be a word of life to us, of hope 
of encouragement and peace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already uh, figured it out, today is a celebration Sunday. It always is, first Sunday in October, World Communion Sunday. It's a big party. Um, as the prophet Isaiah said, how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. But here, and this is the lectionary passage for today, for this World Communion Sunday, we have a, a text from Lamentations as our focus text this morning. Um, let's just define our terms. Just a reminder, it's not a word we use a lot. Uh, what is it to lament? I've got time. To grieve, to mourn, not just to cry, but to sob uncontrollably. Have you ever done that? In that moment where you just lose it? Because you're facing something that didn't go as you'd hoped. You can't, can't control it, can't figure it out, don't know how to respond, not sure how, what tomorrow is even going to be like, if, even if you can make it. That is lament. We lament, we mourn, we sob uncontrollably, we grieve because of a loss which is irrevocable, right? It becomes who we are, as real grief does. Never goes away, it sort of becomes part of who we are, and somehow we manage it. So our text this morning is from a strange place on a celebration Sunday. Um, and this book, which is why it touches our hearts if we take the time to read it, First of all, you have to find Lamentations. It's not easy to find. You've got to go to Jeremiah and take a right, and then you'll find it. But uh, it is not the most popular or well-known book. It is, though, a, literally a, a lament or an expression of woe because of a major calamity, an irrevocable loss. We've all been through it. As I met, illness of ours or someone we love, job loss, career loss, loss of health and vitality, end of a relationship, some person, some set of circumstances which has meant, have meant so much to us now that they're gone. It's over for whatever reason. We lament sadness. We, we lament destruction and death, the war in Ukraine, and pandemic, of course, persistent racism, devastating changes in our Earth's climate. We lament these days the way we treat each other in the human family. It's like it's one big individual competitive sport, which is only about individuals, and there are only winners and losers. There are no teams anymore. Very, very little bit of very little togetherness and unity, it seems. And then here you are, in this world, in this day. First of all, you're strange for getting up so early on a Sunday morning. But you're, you're here on World Communion Sunday, wasting your time, I think a lot of people would think, celebrating something that is so old-fashioned, something that seems like it's gone forever, this idea that being together matters, that putting aside our differences is more important than fighting for what is our desires in this life, in this world. Here we are celebrating unity and the idea that reconciliation and hope are possible. 
Lamentations was written, we think, about 600 years before the time of Jesus of Nazareth. Traditionally, uh, the author has been identified as the prophet Jeremiah. It certainly would line up in terms of time because Jeremiah lived during, before and during the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, the mighty empire from back east that invaded and completely overran Israel, destroyed the temple, carted away all the best and brightest intellectuals and religious, and cultural, and political leaders back to the great city of Babylon as prisoners in exile. As I mentioned, the majestic temple of Solomon, the first temple, was destroyed. And around that time, some author, some anonymous court official, if not Jeremiah himself, but someone of deep and profound faith, not naive or Pollyannish faith, but a faith that is realistic and understands what's going on, wrote this incredible expression of national and personal distress. And we call the whole book Lamentations, a giant complaint, a giant expression of woe. But did you get it? Right in the middle of the text, which Garrett read, right in the middle of all the heartbreak and all the sadness, Israel was gone. It's not just a political loss, it's a cultural loss, a religion. It's all over with from the point of view of whoever wrote Lamentations, whoever is so devastated. But not even this overwhelming personal and national disaster, not even the loss of everything, homes, possessions. Think about those affected in Florida and in South Carolina right now by these incredible storms and the flooding. Just, everything's gone. A lot of us have been through our own versions of storms like that. Everything we know is gone. In the case of Israel, all their possessions, national pride, this notion that as God's chosen people, God would protect them and fight for them, that's gone, all of it. How could God let this happen? Because what's happened would make anyone want to give up on the goodness of God. And yet somehow, as we heard, the author says, but I have hope because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord is new every morning. In the midst of all that sadness and devastation, we get this great proclamation of hope and faith. Now, the other night, as, as often happens, I got home late, and the other night, as often happens, instead of taking out a book, I flipped on the TV, and I was flipping around the channels, thinking maybe I'll, you know, change the input and go over to, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime or something where I can control what I watch. But I was, you know, every now and then you get lucky in the old world of cable television, and there it was, one of the greatest films of all time, just starting Cool Hand Luke with Paul Newman, fairly good-looking person, turns out. Cool Hand Luke is not just a good film, it's a great film. I was reminded. It has so many layers of meaning, and I hadn't seen it in so long. It is before my time, actually, 1967. I was four years old, but I was watching other things at the time, on a black-and-white TV, probably. I think Cool Hand Luke is the precursor, and probably even better than films like Papillon with Dustin Hoffman or The Shawshank Redemption, which everybody sees millions of times. 
is probably even a little better than those two great films as well. Paul Newman plays Lucas Luke Jackson, an unruly, defiant prisoner on a southern chain gang or in a work prison in Florida in the 1930s, which was a difficult time for everybody. The Depression, all these changes happening in the world, economic collapse, hardship, poverty, hunger. Luke has had a hard life, a hard upbringing. We meet his mother at one point who visits him there at the work prison. Um, you can tell he had a hard life just by that, their interaction. He is struggling with his purpose in life. He's not sure what it all means. And he gets himself arrested at the start of the film for unscrewing the tops of parking meters, meters and trying to get the, the coins out of the meters. And cops bust him. He's not really trying to do it very secretly. And he just sort of resi resigned to his fate. He goes to this work sentenced to two years in prison, and at first as a new fish, that's what we call new prisoners in the can, uh, the other prisoners who've been there already are suspicious of him, uh, very suspicious of him, and this, by the way, this is a cast of many of the most famous actors of all time when they were very young, so it's really worth watching just for that, to see these young guys uh, together um, in the early part of their careers. But pretty soon, Luke becomes uh, very, very popular and kind of the leader of the group. Uh, that's because he refuses to play by the sadistic prison warden's rules. It's because of his unselfishness. It's also because of the fact that he refuses to give up no matter what. Even he shows this unbreakable will that he keeps to himself but does not let them beat him, even when he is in solitary confinement and he's put in the box, so to speak, to spend overnight without food or water, dark hole. Everybody loves this guy. He's cool hand Luke, he said, because sometimes having a hand with nothing is the coolest thing there is. And that's what he has. He's got nothing. Now, some people who watch this movie, I think correctly, see uh, Luke in this uh, cool hand Luke as a Christ figure. Uh, he surrounds himself with a band of followers who uh, do whatever he says, not because he's trying to manipulate them, but just because they love him. He also performs miracles. He eats 50 eggs in 10 minutes. Pretty, a pretty incredible scene. Just to show his fellow inmates that you can do something still, even in this place that takes away all your freedoms. You can decide to do something and do it. Uh, so he eats 50 eggs just on a bet. Uh, he fights the head uh, other prisoner when he first gets there. Even though he gets killed, he just keeps coming back for more. And then as he's lying there after eating the eggs or after being beaten up, he kind of is put by the director in a Christ-like position. Um, and then he has this amazing miracle where, where Luke defies death during a football game. He catches a touchdown pass, runs into the end zone, and just keeps on running. Right? And he escapes for a little while before he's finally caught and return to the prison. That is a cycle repeated over and over again. And as you watch him get away and get caught, get away and get caught, you start to realize that the most striking thing about Cool Hand Luke is his aching search for an absent God, which we all can relate to, which the writer of Lamentations this morning can relate to. He yells at the end of one of the hard work days out there just 
swinging a scythe, cutting down weeds at the side of the road with, his, with the chains on his feet and, you know, all the work gang out there just suffering. At the, at the end of the day, as the rain is pouring down after they get done working and suffering, before they get back in the trucks, Luke just yells, even though he's risking getting in trouble, maybe even being shot by the guards, he just yells at the other prisoners, oh, do you guys think there's still that big bearded boss up there? Do you think he's watching us? Do you think he cares? And then he yells at God directly. Let me know you're up there. Come on, love me, hate me, kill me. Just let me know it. And there's no answer. And so Luke just says, I'm talking to myself, standing here in the rain. We've all been there. One day, Luke receives a letter in prison uh, delivered to him in his cell telling him that his mother has died. And in his devastation and loss, even though he has such mixed emotions about her, he grabs a guitar and comforts himself by singing the only religious song he knows, it goes something like this. I don't care if it rains or freezes, as long as I got my plastic Jesus riding on the dashboard of my car. Comes in colors, sweet and pleasant, glows in the dark because it's iridescent, take you with you when you travel far. I can go 100 miles an hour, as long as I got this almighty power, tucked up there like a pair of fuzzy dice. And with that kind of faith, not understanding it, just somehow having it. At the movie, Luke makes his final escape, but the marshals catch up with him. He's locked himself in this small rural chapel. He's so desperate that before they get to him, he kneels down and prays, and he prays, and he prays, and then he begins to laugh out loud, and he comes to the window, and he yells the theme of the movie. What we have here is a failure to communicate. And they shoot him, and he falls dead. But as they take him away, right before he passes away, he has a smile on his face. He won't let them beat him. The question, as we read Lamentations, is whether you and I ever feel like cool hand Luke. Do we feel sometimes like we're just praying to a plastic Jesus up on our dashboard, this impersonal, unfeeling, uncaring, absent God who doesn't listen? People in the Bible felt like that all throughout Scripture. We could be honest enough to say that, at least I know, I feel like that sometimes, too. The Bible is filled with characters who are discouraged and angry with God. There's an entire book of Job that describes a person who's very realistic and angry with the God that he still won't give up on. We don't know who the writer of Lamentations was, but what we're sure of is this was a traumatized person living in captivity, kind of dazed in shock at the sudden loss of his entire world. And you can't blame him for lamenting. He's captured and held captive. His fellow Jews chastise him for having any kind of hope at all, any kind of faith in God. Just give up already, they tell him, but he won't. But I have hope, he says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I think on World Communion Sunday. It's not so much the joy and happiness, which is wonderful, all those things are wonderful, that we share as human beings. I think what we share is this authentic vulnerability, this confusion at not knowing exactly why things are happening to us as they're happening. This wondering and questioning, this big bearded man in the sky 
who does things or lets things happen that we do not understand. And this sadness and this moment of lament is a uni universal human experience, if we're honest. But as I said, in the movie, Luke doesn't lose. By all rational standards, he does. He never gets away. But by something deeper, something beyond understanding, with that smile on his face, he has, he has exercised his freedom. He's never allowed them to hold him, to capture him. Luke lost, but he won. Jesus of Nazareth lost, but he won. That experience of not knowing how to explain or even get through the reality of every day is what we share as human beings on World Communion Sunday. This willingness, if, if we really trust God, to lament, to complain, to be realistic about how hard life can be sometimes. And then to say with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe, but I have hope because the steadfast love of the Lord is new every morning. It's new every morning. Not because my faith is so good or my behavior is so good, but because God's steadfast love, God's faithfulness is new every morning, just like the sunrise. The great writer who most of us associate with sort of downer uh, uh, novels and philosophy, Albert Camus wrote once, in my life, in the midst of hate, I found there was within me an invincible love. In the midst of tears, I found there was within me an invincible smile. In the midst of chaos, I found there was within me an invincible calm. I realized through it all that in the midst of winter, I found there was within me an invincible summer. And that makes me happy. That is the gift I have been given. For it says that no matter how hard the world pushes against me, within me there is something stronger, something better pushing right back. When Mark Twain was at the peak of his writing career, it said in, uh, when he was making uh, about $5 for every journal or magazine article uh, that he wrote, uh, $5 a word, which was a great sum of money back in those days, one enterprising Harvard graduate who also aspired to be an author sent Mark Twain a letter which said, Dear Mr. Twain, enclosed, please find $5. Since you get paid $5 now for every word that you write, and I would like to one day be that kind of successful writer like you, please send me your best word, a word worth a full $5. And a few days later, the student received a telegram from Mark Twain himself with a single word response. Thanks. Thanks was Mark Twain's best word. Thanks may be the most valuable word in any language. And one of the words we use for communion, for the Lord's Supper in the Christian world, is Eucharist, which is Latin for thanks. We thank God that we are loved steadfastly, even beyond our understanding, beyond the limits of our intellect, the way we rationalize, because that's where life happens out there on the frontiers. And we are never alone, even though we have to go out there and live that crazy, confusing, wonderful life. We are always in the presence of the God who loves us so much.
and will be waiting for us at this table. Amen.